All right, it is 6.30 on the dot, and I've already been told by two people uh, to talk loud. We got the microphone fixed since last week, uh, and to talk quickly, <laughs> because there's a baseball game this evening. So welcome to, uh, to uh, the Apologetics Study Squared Away, the November 2nd World Series Game 4 uh, edition. Uh, if you're here tonight and you haven't been here in previous weeks, uh, we've got these talks posted on our website. Also, if you'll email me, alan at fbcconnor.org, or check in with our church office. Jeff and I have our outline saved from previous nights if you want those. And uh, maybe the last night, Sharon, maybe if you'll make a note, we'll do a packet of all of them and maybe have a few of those available as well if you want those. But tonight uh, and next week, I'll be here, Jeff, and some from our, our church are overseas in the Holy Land uh, after a, a flight from Houston to Denver to Toronto to Tel Aviv. Uh, they got there sometime on some day this week. I don't know what day it was. I know they got there safely and they're enjoying their trip so far. And so you're stuck with me for a couple weeks. Uh, and I'm excited about these two questions uh, because uh, I think that uh, both this week's discussion on the question, how could a loving God allow so much suffering? And then next week's question, uh, would a loving God really send someone to hell? I think those two questions are interesting uh, because most of the questions and the topics we're looking at on on these Wednesday night apologetics studies um, are questions that it's it's a clear-cut answer, clear-cut line between what a Christian would believe and say this is the truth, and in the discussion, somebody who's a non-Christian and would say, Well, this is no, this is what I believe. The the legitimacy, the inerrancy of scripture, some of the other things that we've looked at and we'll be looking at. But, but these two questions, I think Christians wrestle with these two questions just as much, if not maybe more so, than non-Christians. Uh, I also think it's interesting tonight, and before uh, we begin, we will have a prayer time together, and then I'm going to look at the prayer sheet at the end of the evening, just briefly. But I want to go ahead and get started that way, that way, if a few of you did want to slip out, you were able to do that. But I do think it's interesting because Tim Keller, one of the, the authors that Jeff has mentioned as being kind of one of the, the good resources on this in his book, The Reason for God, he, he, he presents this, this idea of suffering in this way that non-Christians, the way that maybe someone might want to discuss with a Christian about this question and might want to argue against the existence of God because of the presence of evil in the world, he, he asserts that this question actually presents a bigger issue than something like Christianity being exclusive and leaving other people out that, that don't yet know of Jesus or that don't yet know Jesus or choose some other path uh, to their God. And so I think that's interesting that, that this would be a more significant, he asserts this would be a more significant issue uh, for the non-Christian in keeping them from wanting to learn more about Christ and learn more about their faith. And so we'll see why, I think, when we get into this tonight. So thank you for being here. Let's pray together, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to be here together tonight. Thank you for the activities that are happening elsewhere on our campus. And I just pray that, uh, that our time tonight in your word, our, our marriage matters study, our students, our children, our preschoolers, our choir and our orchestra and our praise team getting ready for worship, that you would just bless all of our time together tonight. Uh, just let us feel your presence in this place tonight. Speak to us. 
Uh, mold us and shape us more into the men and women that you've called us to be uh, so that we can go out into this world and engage in relationships in a transforming way. We give you this time and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to jump in with this and answer the question first, what is suffering? Just so we can kind of understand what I'm talking about when I say the word suffering or when you read the word suffering for the rest of the evening. So you've got it there in your notes, suffering is undergoing pain, hardship, or distress. Suffering, I think, comes by uh, several different ways. It comes by our own choices. An example would be that uh, someone that develops lung cancer later in life because they were a smoker earlier in life. They would suffer physically because of that. They would be in pain. They would probably have financial hardship because of the treatment that goes along with that. They would certainly be in some distress, but, but it was because of a choice that they made something they chose to do with their time, with their money, with their body, physically, emotionally, mentally, whatever. There's also suffering by the choices of others. Uh, both authors uh, that, that I've looked at uh, heavily for tonight's study, Rebecca McLaughlin's Confronting Christianity book um, and Tim Keller's The Reason for God, talk about uh, the abuse of children and the abuse of women, specifically through human trafficking, as two things. Those are choices that others have made that subject a person or a group of people uh, to a tremendous amount of suffering. Obviously, crime is another one of those. Uh, suffering by natural disaster. Uh, the biggest example as far as the death toll uh, that, we could, that I could see was the Indonesian tsunami uh, in 2004, where over 227,000 people lost their lives because of an underwater earthquake, then creating a tsunami, a wave uh, that came onto the shores of Indonesia uh, and wiped out entire cities. And then there's suffering that happens by no logical explanation. Obviously, cancer is a one that's a big medical one. I put SIDS on there, a sudden infant death syndrome, things like that, where something happens and there's just no explanation, no reason behind why it happened. It just did happen. And so obviously, all of us in this room tonight are familiar maybe personally uh, definitely maybe one, two degrees removed from, from an example of one of these being real in our own lives or the lives of someone that we know and love. And Rebecca McLaughlin in her book, Confronting Christianity, she writes about the chapter on this topic, the chapter, it will suggest that suffering is not the wrecking ball that knocks Christianity down, but rather the cornerstone on which painfully, brick by brick, it being Christianity, has always been built. And as we work towards Scripture tonight, looking at some of these things, uh, we'll see why she might think that, and I think why we can come to believe and see that to be true and, and involve that in our discussion. But I know this, if there's one thing that's true about suffering, is that it is unavoidable. I don't know that you can go long on this earth without encountering uh, some kind of suffering some kind of pain, some kind of hardship, some kind of distress, if not in your own life, in someone's life close to you. And so then you suffer alongside them in that. Suffering may be shared across all of society, uh, but it is a uniquely personal experience. And so everybody has their own viewpoint about what suffering is, what causes it, and, and how we handle it or how we learn or grow from it. Uh, for those in the world that, that, that don't believe in the existence of God, uh, they view suffering from a godless perspective. The first viewpoint of suffering is, and some of the tenets of that, that perspective would be that suffering just happens. It's just something that's just a part of our world. There's no explanation for it. There's no 
reason behind it. There's nothing to come from it. It just is. It just happens. There's no meaning, no reason, no hope. There's no cause of it. There's no reason for it. And there's no hope to come from it. It's just something that's a part of our lives the way that everything else is a part of our lives. But those same people talk about wanting to find some kind of universal meaning to life. Maybe not meaning in the suffering specifically, but meaning in life in general. So there's this kind of this lostness for those that, that don't believe in a God, those that are atheists, that don't believe in the existence of a God, that, that suffering has no meaning, but we want life to have some kind of meaning, some kind of purpose, but we just don't know exactly what that is. So I would argue that just because you think or believe that God doesn't exist, that doesn't make suffering any easier to handle. You know, if we walked 100 people up here tonight to share examples of suffering they've gone through, whether or not they believe in God or not, it's not you're not going to be able to tell which one went through that more easily than the other one. Uh, and something that you may think that was tremendously horrific may not has been, have been as traumatic to that individual. But, but your story may seem much more traumatic to someone else than it even did to you. And so that's where the, the personal experience of suffering uh, helps us see and experience suffering differently. Uh, but then we're going to see one common thing that I think we all, all share when it comes to suffering. The second perspective uh, specifically involves the religion Buddhism. Uh, it's become a particularly popular um, religion for Westerners who maybe don't find their, their place in organized religion but also want to believe in a God, want to believe in a higher power, uh, because Buddhism combines uh, those two aspects, the, the, the God uh, involvement in our lives, the presence of a higher being in, in the world, but it also combines that with the lack of structure and the lack of organization of organized religion. And so you can see how that might be unique a uh, uniquely attractive to somebody looking for spiritual refuge from the, the bleak uh, hopelessness of atheism, but also somebody that's maybe wanting to avoid uh, what they maybe perceive as, as, as wrong or perceive as difficult or unapproachable in organized religion. And some things that, that are unique to the Buddhist perspective on suffering is that uh, because they believe in reincarnation, because they believe in no, no real afterlife, but just this continual cycle of new lives here on earth, is that sin in a past life, wrongdoing in a past life, leads to suffering in the present life. So your suffering now can be attributed to something negative, something sinful, something wrong in a previous life. And so then you try to be better in this life, that way when you reincarnate in the next life, that's a little better, and there's, the, there's a lack of suffering there. And so that's attractive to some people. Uh, and then part of the, the Buddhist perspective is also that the, the kind of the non-attachment nature of Buddhism, that that shields one from suffering because we're kind of isolated, and it's really, it's just me. So I, I'm in control of me, and then my, my next life, if, I, if I'm bad, it's going to be tough. But if I'm good, it's going to be good. But in the same way that that shields an individual in their minds from suffering, it also robs them from potential joyful relationships with one another. And so that, that, that this viewpoint can lead to happiness, but I would argue that this viewpoint can't lead to joy. That you can experience temporary happiness, but you, you can't find true joy. 
And then the third perspective on suffering that, that we're going to wrestle with tonight is the suffering, and we'll spend most of our time here, suffering from a, from a Christian perspective. So obviously the things that, that many of us, if not most of us, know to be true about this is that suffering is not always necessarily the result of a specific sin. In some cases it is. In some cases, the suffering by our own choices, if there's a, a sinful behavior that also comes with a physical consequence, and that physical consequence may cause us to suffer, may cause someone around us to suffer. But as a general rule of thumb, it's not like our own individual sin is going to cause a certain amount or a guaranteed amount of suffering. But it is certainly, 100% of the time, it is certainly a result of the presence of sin in the world. Suffering came to exist because sin entered the world. God created a garden, a place of perfection, a, a place of, of, of this perfect design for Adam and Eve to live in, and everything was good until they did the one thing that He told them not to do. And once they sinned, once sin entered the world, suffering began to happen. And it's been a continual cycle ever since. But here's where Christianity and our perspective starts to differ a little bit from all the others. There is ultimate hope. And the eternal glory through Jesus Christ. We, we can think about suffering in, a te in temporary terms because we as Christians know that that suffering is only temporary. And that maybe we do see some redemption, some reconciliation in this life, but we know for sure that that suffering is redeemed in heaven uh, for the believer, for those who know Christ as their Lord and Savior. The second thing we see is that God shows us how much He loves us in Jesus Christians view suffering through the lens of hope for a better end. But not just that end, that glory that He's called us to in heaven, but also the fact that, that you and I can have an intimate, personal relationship with the One who suffered for us. It's not just about the, the, the suffering that we endure, but we can look back to the suffering that Christ endured on the cross. And we can know our Heavenly Father through Him and have a, a personal, intimate relationship with Him. And so those three perspectives kind of frame the way the world around us sees suffering. And I just want to highlight for you uh, some biblical examples of suffering in Scripture. Joseph suffered because of his brother's selfishness. In Genesis chapter 37 through 47, uh, those 11 chapters detail the account of Joseph's life when his brothers conspired to kill him before they decided ultimately to sell him. After being sold, Joseph winds up in Egypt, finds himself in prison. After an unfortunate incident with Potiphar's wife, he begins, he's in prison, he begins winning the favor uh, of, of, uh, of Potiphar by uh, interpreting the dreams. The Pharaoh uh, gets, to, gets involved, and eventually he helps Egypt prepare for a coming famine. And then he's eventually reunited with his family. This story, I think, is an example of suffering because of the actions of others. That, that second example, that second type of suffering that's listed there under the question, what is suffering? Joseph's brothers caused that to happen. But then God took something that was meant for evil and worked it for the good of many people. An entire country, an entire region, entire generations of people were saved uh, because Joseph was there with Pharaoh and was able to, to help them bring in the store of grain and the store of goods uh, for the coming famine. And through all that, God was glorified. 
Uh, The entire book of Job details the account of Job suffering rather inexplicably. You know, Satan's wanting to, to do what he does on earth, and God says, have you considered my servant Job? He's upright. He's blameless. Try him. So God gives over Job to be chested by Satan. Suffering begins as Job loses literally everyone and everything around him. He keeps a few uh, well-meaning friends, but poorly executed help from those friends, along with the presence of God, provides this dialogue and this chapter after chapter interaction between Job and these friends and God and these friends and God and Job and God and back and forth. And through all that, Job remains faithful to God and the Lord uh, restores his fortunes. And this story is an example that even though there is inexplicable suffering in this world, that God is still sovereign. And then that part of his nature that we believe in God's sovereign control over this world and over our lives, we can continue uh, to trust him no matter what is going on around us. And the next example, Mary and Martha suffered with Lazarus' death. Jesus didn't initially come when Lazarus died, and Mary and Martha suffered during those few days. Then Jesus came, and he comforted them in their suffering. He wept with them, and then he showed them that he had the power over death and began to reveal more and more of who he was, not just as a person, uh, but as God in the flesh. And then the the, the foundation of of suffering from the Christian perspective, Jesus' suffering on the cross. See, the one that was sent to overcome suffering took on sin and suffering of the entire world. You know, you and I have a lot of, of different relationships. We have people that we're acquainted with, we have people that we're, we're friends with. We have people that are in our family. We have immediate family. Uh, and then a number of us in the room tonight have a, have a spouse. A number of us in the room tonight are a son or a daughter or have sons and daughters. And you know, if we, if we lose a, a relationship with an acquaintance over a poor choice they made or a poor choice we made, we might be upset about that for a little while, but we get over it. If we lose a friend over a poor choice that they made or or, or, or something that we did, that, that might hurt probably in relation to the amount of time and the level of friendship we have with that person. Obviously, if we, if we have a, a relationship with a family member, especially an immediate family member, that, that's severed because of a decision that, that we make or because of something that, that they did, that, that's a very hurtful thing. Uh, that, that's a very traumatic thing to experience in our lives. And, and we see in the scriptural account of the crucifixion that it wasn't it wasn't just that, that physically Jesus took on the suffering of the cross, literally suffocating to death on the cross. It's that He took on the sin and the weight of all of the suffering in the world. And He was so ugly and so grotesque and, and, and so despicable because of that that His own Father couldn't even look at Him. So think about the suffering that our Heavenly Father and His Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, went through on that day. The crucifixion is the foundation for the argument that the existence of suffering itself is not an argument against God, but is actually an argument for the existence of God in the world. Because a loving God is also the doorway, sent His Son Jesus Christ to be the doorway through which every person on the face of this earth can overcome suffering once and for all. It doesn't mean we won't walk this life without it. We may go every single day of our lives with some kind of suffering. But the moment our earthly life ends as believers and our heavenly, our eternal life begins, all of that is overcome because of what Jesus Christ did for us.
And then in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 8, I'm going to flip there and read those to you. If you've got your Bible and you want to read along with me, you can do that. But Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 8, Paul's writing to the Christians in Rome, and he says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we are to rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might even dare to die. But God shows His love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Paul's encouraging the Roman Christians to rejoice in suffering. That time, suffering by persecution, one of the worst forms of suffering someone can endure, being persecuted for their faith, physically beaten, imprisoned, killed because of their faith. And he's challenging them, rejoice in your suffering, for this suffering produces endurance, this endurance produces character, and the character produces hope. And we know that our hope is in Jesus Christ, who, verse 8 says, while we were still sinners, He died for us. And so we see that, that the central point from the Christian worldview, the central point of history, Christ's death on the cross, is also the very foundation for the argument that, that the existence of suffering in the world is something that points to God, not, not something that points away from God. And I know that we know that those things are true, and I know that we believe that, but what happens when we encounter someone who doesn't yet believe that in their life, who hasn't yet come to that time in their life where they personally say, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I need to trust Jesus with, with, with my salvation. I need to ask Him for forgiveness of sin. I need to repent. So what should our response be to those that claim a loving God couldn't allow suffering? Well, just listen to how different but maybe similar these phrases are. So one might argue, if God truly is loving, He wouldn't allow blank to happen. Our defense, our apologetic for that might be God's plans are not confined simply to this world and this life. See, what we think may be an example of God showing the world that He doesn't love the world, we're looking at it here and now through our lens and not through eternity through the picture that God is looking at from the beginning of time to eternity and the part that He's looking at. The second argument someone might make, if God truly is powerful, He could have stopped blank from happening. God works in ways, our response might be something like this, God works in ways we simply cannot see and understand. Imagine the amount of suffering He prevents that we are totally unaware of. See, I think that, that sometimes we, uh, not maybe those of us in this room, but we as people can get focused on what, what, what didn't happen to prevent something, and we think, oh wait, what, what's, what's the big story that never made the news? Because a man or a woman or a person of God or God miraculously intervened in that situation and saved a life or protected a, a village or, or turned a, a thunderstorm away with a big tornado in it or whatever the example might be. We, we only see the things that do happen and think that God was, 
was asleep or something. But that just simply isn't true. Another argument might be if God truly is good, if He's really as good as, as, as He claims to be, as He declares Himself to be, as Christians say that He is, He wouldn't allow blank to happen. The truth is the very foundation of the Christian faith, the moment in history on which the whole world is centered, is also the moment of the greatest suffering ever experienced. No one will ever experience anything worse than what Jesus endured on the cross. And that's the very foundation of the Christian faith. And so because God is good, He allowed His own Son to suffer so that He could show the rest of the world just how good He was and just how good He is. And then that last word we talked a little bit about, God's sovereignty. If God is sovereign, then He must cause or He must allow blank whatever to happen. Well, you can respond to the individual saying that. He said, yes, God, God is sovereign. And yes, evil and suffering do happen on His watch. But I think our perception on why He allows suffering is limited to our world and our view. There's no way this side of eternity that we can understand why suffering truly happens. We trust God's sovereignty. In a discussion on the nature of God in a systematic theology class I was in at, at Dallas Baptist probably sometime around 2007 or so, Dr. Jim Dennison said this, he said, the holiness of God requires that He redeems all that He allows. The holiness of God requires that He redeems all that He allows. Uh, a few years ago, uh, Dr. Dennison wrote a column uh, on his website, Dennison Forum for Truth and Culture, uh, about uh, this topic. And he included that quote in there. And he talked about uh, giving a speech uh, in 2016 at the, the Louisiana governor's prayer breakfast. And it was a few months after some, some really bad flooding uh, in 2016 that happened in the state of Louisiana. And there, were, there was uh, some, some financial difficulty happening. There was obviously loss of life, insurance, infrastructure, all of those things that would come with that. So you can understand just, to, just what a, a difficult time of suffering that was for a lot of those people. And so he's there and he, he, he kind of built his talk around this statement, the holiness of God requires that He redeems all that He allows. And he wrote about this in his column. He said, so God is sovereign. He either causes or allows things to happen. If He does not redeem it for His glory, then He's made a mistake. But God is holy and perfect and does not make mistakes. So then the statement must be true that the holiness of God requires that He redeems all that He allows. Because if He doesn't redeem it, He's made a mistake. And if He makes a mistake, He's not perfect. But we know that He's perfect because we have witness and testimony to His perfect Son, Jesus Christ, in the flesh, living, walking, showing us the way to go. And so when you think about the, the, the presence of suffering in the world, and you think about those, those examples of suffering, suffering by our own choices, suffering by the choices of others, suffering by natural disaster, things that are outside of man's control, but all of those things completely under God's control, and those things that just can't be explained logically, those things that just happen, illnesses that, that have no cause, they have no cure, things like that that are in this world. And you think about the, the, different, the different viewpoints on suffering. Know that, that this is an area, this is an opportunity uh, for us as believers uh, to, to really truly win over 
the thought, the thought process and the hearts uh, of people who maybe think that because evil and suffering exist, God can't exist. Or God is not who He claims to be or who we claim that He is because of the presence of evil and, and suffering in the world. But I think for us it's a, a tremendous opportunity uh, because just as much as individuals may, may be wanting to attack Christianity, attack the Christian faith uh, because of what they see in the world in the presence of evil and suffering in the world, I, I think that that statement that we looked at in the definition of suffering, that suffering may be shared across all of society, but it's a uniquely personal experience because it's in the middle of that suffering where an individual may be looking for, for meaning and, and looking for an answer, looking for some glimmer of hope to step out of that and to step into a, a, a new life. And, and what a better person to come alongside them than a born-again believer who has, has met Jesus uh, because of his lowest point of suffering. And we get to our lowest point of suffering when we say, you know what, my way's not the right way. I want to repent of, of living life my way and I want to live life God's way. And if we're a born again believer, then we've done that. And we've reached that, that place, that bottom in our lives and we've turned our lives over towards Jesus Christ. And so while we may not be going through physically, emotionally, financially, what somebody around us may be going through and suffering in, in the way that they might be suffering, we, we can join them in that and, and love them in that and share with them about a God who loves them, whether it was their own choices, the choices of others, or something completely outside of any human's control that happened to bring about that suffering. And so I just want to just close with this prayer over you that, that whatever, whatever pain or whatever hardship, whatever distress you're going through, uh, that, that God would reveal Himself to you through that, but also that God would use you uh, to reveal Himself to others as you walk through suffering with those around you. So let's pray together for that. Heavenly Father, I thank You for this night. I thank You for each person that's here. And I know that, that we wrestle with so many different things in our lives. I know that we wrestle uh, with the, the presence of evil in this world and not being able to explain them. And, and some of the, the biggest sources of evil right now in this world, even from within denominational and, and, and Christian structures. And so sin and evil and, and suffering are present in every part of our society. And so we acknowledge that and we ask that, that you would help us uh, to see you in the midst of suffering in our own lives as we experience pain, distress, hardship, heartache, loss, ongoing suffering, temporary suffering, whatever it might be, God, that we would see you in that and that we would use your presence in that as a testimony for your goodness, your sovereignty, and your love for, for, for us and for the world around us. And that would, you would use each one of us in a powerful way in the relationships with those around us to help us to see and to help others to see uh, your Son, Jesus Christ, in this world. And we thank you so much for sending your Son in this world to die for us. Thank you so much for sending Him to save us. And pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.